0: Scripture reading this morning is taken from 1st Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 25. But you are not like that for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence these ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls.
1: Thank you, Barbara. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning. morning. Thank you. There we go. Well, if we haven't met before, I'm Rob, and I am so glad you're here today. Uh, As we get started, I don't do this very often, but you know, since uh, I'm a dad of teenagers, I've found out that I only tell bad jokes. So, uh, enjoy. It's short. Well, one Sunday morning, this pastor noticed that um, there was a young boy, Carter, I think was his name, and he was staring up at a large plaque that was on the wall of the foyer in the church, and the plaque was covered with little names, and there were two little American flags on either side of the plaque, and this seven-year-old had been staring at this plaque for quite some time when the pastor walked up and finally decided to inquire, and So Pastor says, um, good morning, Carter. How are you today? And Carter said, oh, good morning, Pastor. His eyes never leaving the plaque. And then he said, Pastor Ann, what is this? And she said, oh, well, that's a plaque um, honoring all the men and women who died in the service. Pastor Carter kept staring at this plaque. And then like his voice just barely audible as it breaks the silence. Pastor Ann, which service? The (laughs) 9 or the 1030? (laughs) Come on, give me a dad chuckle. But the reason I tell it is because when I think about service and sacrifice, I think most of us want to get about as close as that joke. And as citizens of the United States of America, we actually are pretty privileged to only have to choose our suffering or our service or our sacrifice. Now, some choose it by training and running for a marathon. Maybe you did that earlier this month. Some choose it by giving more than a small portion of their income to those in need or to charities or causes that they care about, and some even choose it by leaving the country that they live in and going and living in another country with beautiful people but often not beautiful conditions. But some sociologists and missiologists, people who study mission and futurists predict that in my lifetime or likely the next generation's lifetime, living as a follower of Jesus in the United States will mean suffering and sacrifice as a daily choice, not just a noble, noble choice. A daily reality, I guess, as you could say it. So we may not want to choose a life of sacrifice or suffering or service, but it is the life that we're called to. It's the life Jesus lived. And I think it's worth spending time considering why we should choose it. And if you do, how you can find joy in the midst of it. And I want to be clear, I'm not assuming you all want to do this life of sacrifice and service, but again, even though we're inspired every day by people who live this way, most of us still want to try and avoid it. So if it sounds like I'm trying to convince you today, I'm really trying to convince myself as well. But if you hang with me, I think you'll see how it all connects and what it looks like in our lives today. So if you have been reading along, we're in this Messiah book. Um, We're about right there, you know, so gosh, maybe even over halfway. But if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm behind um, or I haven't read, go to the contents, um, A5, because... It shows how all of the books are grouped together, and the first one is Luke-Acts and then a bunch of letters that Paul wrote that um, were primarily written to Gentile audiences, and so they are all fittingly grouped together, but they're all just right in here. So those are all the ones that we've read, if you've kept up, and we've just started, we just finished this next section this week, and we have, gosh, three more sections. So you can jump in, or if you're like, if you got behind hey, just catch up, it's great. No problem, no shame. So, we're, we read Mark, First and Second Peter, and Jude this week, and again, I said, why should we choose this life of sacrifice, suffering, and service? Well, because Jesus lived it. Um, three times in Mark's story, he repeatedly says that suffering, sacrifice, and service are the marks of God's true Savior. Now, if you think about it, when we put up people that are saviors or messiahs or heroes on pedestals, we often don't say, like, look at their sacrifice. Look at how much they serve. We often say, look how, how far they've come. Look at the, the influence they have and the, the, um, the amount of money or people that they command. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way. And again, three times in his story, he says, to be God's Messiah or God's Savior, the Savior must suffer. Three times, every time the, his students, the disciples responded with either arrogance or confusion. And I think it'd be easy to go, well, yeah, because they were dumb or clueless. But if Jesus' students, if his closest disciples didn't get it, if his own family didn't get it, then I think it's a little bit arrogant of us to think that we would be any different. I think every time I'm asked, or yeah, every time I'm asked to serve, I often go, yeah, I'll do that. But every time I'm treated like a servant, oh, it's it's an ugly sight. (laughs) Same thing. I think it's the same thing. It took Peter... Denying Jesus and then watching him die on a cross and then seeing him alive again to realize how much he'd missed it. But once he saw Jesus raised from the dead, once he had the Holy Spirit, his life was never the same. And when he writes 1 and 2 Peter, he is a completely different person than we see in this, at least in the story of Mark, but I think in Matthew and Luke and John, he, is, has, he has embraced the service, the suffering, the sacrifice because he's embraced Jesus. He says in 1 Peter 4, he says, Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you, but instead be very glad. These trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to the whole world. When you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. God's spirit rests upon you. I think he's saying that since Jesus lived it, we shouldn't just choose it. We should actually expect it, which is completely counter to our culture. It's probably counter to our intuition. But I think Peter was onto to something when he said, I think he'd internalize this thing that when we suffer on earth, we see the glory of eternity. So if you remember reading in the book of Acts, there's this guy, Stephen, who gets picked to help with uh, the food distribution, and Stephen starts actually sharing his faith in different avenues. He, he even shares his faith when he gets accused of, of this hope that he believes in, and there's this beautiful speech, and at the end of it, people decide that he should die for speaking this truth about Jesus. And so that the method was that you put someone down in kind of a pit or a hole, and then you picked up big rocks, and then you threw the rocks at the person. But it's actually in that moment, where, which I would say would be suffering, where Stephen sees the glory of God. He sees Jesus... And I'm not even sure how it works, because it's not like heaven is somewhere up there. It's, it's very close, but yet unseen. And he says, I see the Son of God. I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. He'd never seen that before, but he saw it in that moment of suffering. Why is it that when people go on mission trips, they so clearly see God at work or God in, in the present or in healings, then they don't see in their everyday life I think it's because we put ourselves in situations of suffering we can more clearly see God's glory Jesus or Peter said it like this at the beginning of his book in 1 Peter 1 all praise to God the father of our lord Jesus Christ it's by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead But now we live with this great expectation. We have this priceless inheritance and it's kept in heaven for you, he says. Pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change or decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. It's like, When we say yes to Jesus, we receive salvation. And yet Peter is also saying, and we will receive salvation. Jesus has come back. He's ascended, but he'll come back again. Not all is right in the world, but everything's different because Christ was raised from the dead. And if you're like, I'm confused, that's okay. I am too. It is a little bit confusing, but I think he's trying to get at this point that says, that there will be suffering. That's part of this world not being made completely right. But the reality is because I've returned from the dead that I have conquered death, that I've conquered disease, that I have conquered ultimately sin and Satan. Even though you can still experience it here, I'm giving you this down payment knowing that one day it will be made right. Choose faithfulness in the midst of that. It's like, well, it's not like this, but I think it helps, or it's just a good story. My parents told me about five years ago, "Hey, um, we've been saving money, and um, we just want you to know that that there will likely be an inheritance for you." And I'm like, "Wow, that's awesome!" Now it's not at a bank; it's in a house in Arizona. And you know, when we sell that house someday, then maybe there'll be money for you. But you know, just want you to know there's somebody. Oh, thanks. Great. It's in a a house in Arizona, not literally in the house. They purchased the house with my inheritance money. That's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Right. That can perish, that can spoil, that can burn up. That's not guaranteed. Peter is saying, this, this is guaranteed. It can't be taken. Your life can be taken, but your inheritance in heaven Can never be taken. Worry about that more than what you suffer. I think it's not just poetic words that Peter is saying. I think this is his picture of a new reality. Because Jesus died and rose from the dead and has new life, the whole world has new life. And when we believe in Christ as Savior and Lord, we receive that new life, which has a new future and a new inheritance. And that new future connects us to that second reason that I think we should choose this life of service and suffering and sacrifice. We should choose it because it reminds us of this new identity. No matter where you've come from or what you've done in your past, you and I, if we say yes to Jesus, we have this new identity. We're part of a new family. This is how Peter said it in the reading that we had for today. You are a chosen people, and you are a royal priest. You're a holy nation, you're God's very own possession. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, and 11. He said, once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. And then he says, "Uh, friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and aliens or foreigners. So what I think he's saying is when you trust Christ, you don't just become part of God's family, which sometimes followed God but sometimes didn't. You become part of his faithful family, And he uses language that would connect them back to God's larger story. He starts by calling them these temporary residents or aliens and foreigners. And then he ends his letter by saying, your sister church here in Babylon gives you greetings. And so does my son Mark. Mark is the person who wrote um, the book of Mark. And most people believe he used Peter as his source. So let's connect a few, like, Great big dots, okay? So this is like free seminary for everyone, but, you know, it's free, so it might be good. So in God's great big story of his faithful family, it starts by him calling this really old couple named Abraham and Sarah out of a place called Ur. Now Ur was in the land of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were just a fancy name for the words for the Babylonians. The Babylonians lived in Babylon, All right, we have a picture of Babylon. One of the um, seven ancient wonders of the world were supposedly the hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon is by the Euphrates River. Um, It might be by the Tigris River. Uh, This is actually where people think that the uh, Garden of Eden was by, but this was no Garden of Eden. Babylon was the place where before this, actually right before this in God's story, where the Tower of Babel was built. Tower of Babel is just a short word for Babylon, and this is like the pinnacle of human rebellion and autonomy from God. So God creates the world, everything's awesome, then, God's, then these humans decide to rebel against God. He didn't like their limits. And then their children um, rebel against God, and that looks like murder. And then when that child, Cain, murdered and then was going to have consequences for that, God said, I'll put a mark on you. In his mercy, he doesn't kill him or let others kill him. But he travels and wanders east, and where he goes, he starts building cities. And those cities have this technology, but the technology they use to create more independence from God. And this thing gets worse and worse and worse until Tower of Babel. Babylon, then, in the Bible, becomes this symbol of any human rebellion and autonomy from God. See, wasn't that that fun? So when Peter says your sister church in Babylon sends you greetings, there, he wasn't saying like across the Arabian desert. There's these random group of people that are saying hi to you. He's he's writing from Rome, and Rome is the world empire, and Rome took over from Greece, who took over from Persia, who took over from Babylon, and it's it's all the same thing. Human power. Like, maybe you've heard the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's what's going on in God's big story. So when Peter says, your sister church in Babylon, he's actually saying, Rome is the new Babylon. Now, why is that important? Well, I think Peter is trying to connect them back, because he's, he's not just going, hey, on Sunday, we're going to learn this cool stuff from the Bible that has no relevance for your life on Tuesday. No, he's saying, hey, on Tuesday, I want you to know about Rome being the new Babylon. And I want you to know that I'm calling you these aliens and foreigners in this other land because I want you to remember who was, in, who was a foreigner and an alien in the past. Wasn't it Abraham or Joseph who went to Egypt, or Esther, who was in the Persian Empire, who saved God's people, or was it Daniel or Jeremiah, who were in Babylon when they were God's people, or even Jesus in this Roman Empire. He was this exiled citizen. Someone who lived in a foreign land, but was a citizen of a different kingdom. That's what Peter Wants us to say or learn and actually practice on Tuesday, or one day or Wednesday or Thursday. So these people that Jesus or that Peter is trying to tap into—Daniel, Jeremiah, Esther, Joseph—they didn't violently resist the empires they lived in, and they didn't just oppressively submit. And actually, they didn't hide in these holy huddles they engaged in the land they were in, even though it was corrupt, even though it was kind of, actually, not kind of, even though it was idolatrous. But they engaged and participated as citizens of heaven in exile. And the way they did that is, I think, the third reason why we are called to live this life of suffering, sacrifice, and service, because when we choose it, it brings clarity to these new priorities, to Jesus' priorities in the world. Um, The reading had that Barbara read had some surprising ways to do this, to live into this exiled citizen life. It says, submit to all human authority, which we were like, well, maybe. And then respect everyone. Oh, okay. Love the family of believers. Sure, we can do that. Fear God. Respect the king, which in another translation is honor the emperor. The emperor at this time was Nero. Nero was putting Christians up on stakes and using them as torches, human torches, to light the way. He blamed the Christians for burning Rome because he wanted to burn Rome and start over, but he just needed a scapegoat, so he used them. Nasty, nasty person. Okay, imagine if All right, I'm just going to say it. You can write me an email. Imagine if Nero had a Twitter account, okay? I mean, seriously, this would have been hard to respect this person. And he says, honor the emperor. And then, you who are slaves must submit to your masters. And I mean, I think we, we read this or we hear it and we go, that's so outdated That is so naive. We are so much more evolved as humans. We would never traffic people. But if we lean in and think about what it means, slavery was a reality at that time because of poverty, limited technology, and survival. And that slavery was not based on a color or country of origin. Anyone could become a slave at that time. And though you could buy your way out of that slavery, when you were a slave, you were considered property. And abuse happened. And so, why would Peter talk about this? Well, first of all, the fact that if if slaves, if slaves are property, think about it. Peter says, you who are slaves. In other words, Peter writes a letter to the scattered church everywhere and gives dignity and God's image-bearingness to slaves. That's radical. Later in the letter, he'll address women, and he'll say they're weaker, but the fact that he addressed women as equal partners in the gospel is radical. They didn't do that at this time. The gospel is radical. And he does say, endure suffering, but I realize that enduring unjust suffering has caused abuses to continue in workplaces and in homes and in schools and in marriages. And, and so we have to hear this in the right lens, but enduring unjust suffering does not mean simply remaining passive when you're suffering, When we're in situations like this, I think we think the only options are to aggressively resist or passively submit. But this exiled citizen life that Peter is talking about is a third way. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way of Daniel and Jeremiah and Esther and Joseph. It's to engage in those places as God's agents of blessings because you and I, if we say yes to Jesus, we're part of a different kingdom. And when we offer our best efforts to those empires, Jesus says that when we bring the peace and prosperity of that place, we're they'll be blessed, but so will we. We don't have to join in their worship of other gods. We critique the idolatry, We refuse to join in, so we're both loyal and yet subversive. Jesus said, be as innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. I think this is why maybe Peter told Mark this story of Jesus being harassed by the political and religious leaders at one time when he's asked about paying taxes. It's in Mark 12 and the religious and political leaders are there in the room, and he says, Jesus, is it right to pay Caesar taxes to Caesar, the, the Roman Empire, or not? And Jesus saw through their hypocrisy. He says, Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. And when they handed him, he said, Whose picture and title is on it? Like, whose image is, is, is on this coin? Whose image does it bear? And they said, Caesar. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar, but give to God what is God's. In other words, whose image is on you? Because if you bear God's image, then you give to God what is God's. It's never this like aggressive as resistance or passive submitting. It's this subversive, difficult way of surrender. That's what Jesus is doing. He's critiquing their idolatry of money and power and desires, and he's offering truth and healing and hope even to people outside of his circle. That's what it means to live as an exiled citizen. That's the life that you and I are invited to engage in. It's not gonna be easy, but think about it. When humans were suffering, God didn't go, mm, gosh, that looks hard. He didn't offer sympathy to us. He left his throne in heaven and came to earth, and he walked among us as Jesus. And he didn't rise up to be the next new emperor of a new place that was going to be the better version of all these other human versions. No, he laid down his life over and over and over. He served God by healing and helping people. He led others by loving others and putting them first. That's how he became first. He should have received our praise, our gratitude, our worship, but instead we spit on him and we mocked him and we killed him because we don't want to suffer or sacrifice or serve. But Jesus doesn't just say, this is what I did. Now work harder and try. He laid down his life to give us his spirit to start changing the entire world. And when we suffer, we have to depend on God's spirit more and more. When we are in places of sacrifice, we have a greater dependence. When God suffered, when Jesus suffered, God suffered. Like we just talked about it in our communion. And God used that to redeem us. See, the cross is, is God's answer when people are like, why doesn't God do anything about suffering? He did. He came to earth and he gave his life and that ripped the whole fabric of the universe in half and started remaking the whole thing. That's how we find our healing and wholeness in that suffering. And it's not just how we find it, it's how everyone can find it. I love how Johnny Erickson Tata puts it, God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. It's not just how Jesus rescued and restored us, it's how we show that to other people. See, Peter says this and I believe he says it to us because in 2019, I believe it's still the way that we are called to be these exiled citizens, loyal and subversive, blessing in our Babylons wherever we find them, and yet citizens of heaven. So when next time, when you are in a place of difficulty, I've been starting to do this. Difficulty is an opportunity. Hardship is an invitation. Suffering is a chance to show others the love of Jesus. God uses suffering to proclaim his salvation, so maybe I can too. So when you or I are treated like a servant, I'm gonna try and joyfully embrace it because I think people will notice. And when you respect all kinds of people and honor even wicked leaders, people notice and when you quietly resist the worship of stuff or other gods people notice and when you give your total loyalty to God when you speak the surprising truth of Jesus and you show this generous love that Jesus has people notice but even if they don't God notices and God knows. And remember, when the most evil of empires thought they had won by killing Jesus, God raised him from the dead, said, He is vindicated and victorious. Suffering is not the last answer. It is merely a moment in the destination. Heaven is our destination. The joy of eternity is our destination. No more suffering, no more pain, no more injustice. That's our destination. And we can work and live from that place today. This is why we say at Restoration, we join with Jesus to transform communities. We know that as one more person becomes centered in Christ and filled with his Holy Spirit and an agent of blessing wherever they are, eventually people will notice. As we just pause and listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying, I I pray that the Holy Spirit would already be speaking to you and has been speaking even through me. I want you to consider where you're suffering and where people you care about are suffering and where they're suffering in the world. And what does it mean that Jesus rescues? and redeems all of it. So Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? God, like the the video that just introduced this idea that we all run this race of faith that even people who are standing on the sidelines thinking about this race, thinking about if they want to jump into this faith, God, you do see them as runners. We don't all go the same speed, we don't all run the same race, but God, we are all citizens that you care about. We're humans on this earth, and you are redeeming all of it. You are inviting each one to join in. Not to do it in our own power but to depend on your power. But then as we run to keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who endured the cross, scorned its shame and removed its power of death, disease, destruction and even the devil. God, you are made the whole world new in that moment, and that is what we step into when we serve, when we sacrifice, and when we suffer. God, I pray that you would give each of us a more clear picture of what it means to be and live as your exiled citizens. Not just for us, but for a lost and hurting world.